Welcome back to episode number 153 of the Dust Safety Science Podcast. This is the podcast where we're building a global community around process safety and industries handling combustible dust. I'm your show host, Dr. Chris Cloney. In today's episode, we're talking about dust explosion loss history in Europe and the United Kingdom. This episode is part of a series where we're starting off our fourth year recording the podcast by discussing lost history around the world and some of the history of dust explosions. Last week's episode, we covered lost history in North America. We saw that from the period between sort of 1900 to the 1950s, we were seeing around 20 explosions a year, 31 injuries, and 12 fatalities. And from the period from the 1980s to, to, through today, we're seeing 20 to 30 explosions a year, 30 to 35 injuries, and around six fatalities. So a pretty similar number of incidents and injuries, about half the fatalities of dust explosions that we were seeing in the 1950s and earlier. Today's episode, we're going to talk about lost history in Europe and the United Kingdom. And in next week's episode, we're going to talk about lost history in Asia to sort of give this global perspective of combustible dust. What's happened? What kind of challenges do we see in different parts of the world related to these hazards? So why is understanding lost history important? Well, one of the key things here is not to forget what we already know, keep reliving, keep re-understanding these hazards as they develop instead of you know reliving the same thing over and over again. I think that's uh, Einstein's definition of insanity. The second reason is to really let the audience know these resources are here. This gives an idea of, you know, if you're in one of these regions of the world, then hopefully have some information that's available to you to dig into to understand the hazards of combustible dust. And there's also a lot of cross-learning that can happen from one region of the world to the next. I'll give a good example. We did a podcast episode, I think it was episode four, on dust collectors at high schools in Nova Scotia, and the province audited uh, over 100 dust collectors and found almost all of them deficient in a number of different ways, including some really severe ways, like return air systems that were returning combustible dust back into the facility, into drop-down ceilings overhead, you know, where the students would be doing their labs and stuff. So some pretty dangerous situations. I just got an email this morning. I haven't actually even replied back to it. Um, I should reply back by the time you hear this, which should be about a month because we recorded these about a month ahead from another country of the world saying, hey, this is a really big challenge in this country as well. This is actually one of the countries we'll be talking about today. What information do you have on how the government sort of rolled out this program? So I'd like to sort of pitch it to our local jurisdiction as well. So this is exactly of the kind of cross-learning that we can have from one region to the world. Another example, this would be the grain elevator explosions in the port of Aqaba, Aqaba in uh, the country of Jordan. An interview we did with Ali Al-Nashidawi back in episode 13 of the podcast, where he's talking about how would you roll out a audit for grain elevators after they had this large explosion, they want to do that in their country. And we had something to point to, because we sort of done something similar back in the U.S. and with the U.S. grain handling standard. So this is just other ways to, you know, cross learning or cross fertilization from different parts of the world, which is another reason why it's really important to understand and put this lost history in one central place. So today we're going to be talking about lost history in Europe and the United Kingdom. In terms of what information is available, there's a, there's a number of different resources. We're going to cover three of them today. I know there's more, but my, my books are actually packed away. And in particular, my textbook, Dust Explosions in the Process Industries by Dr. Rolf Eckhoff, um, is, is packed away at the moment because we're moving from Nova Scotia, Ontario. So I wasn't able to pick out the other resources that are in that book to find them for this episode. But I do have three um, that are available. So one is data from Beck in 1982, as reported by... Uh, Dr. Eckhoff, in his book, Dust Explosions in the Process Industries. I have a, a, a picture of this, this chart, so I pulled that out for analyzing 
in this podcast episode, and that covers the period from 1965 to 1980 in Germany. I believe the original information was published in German, and that's why it was republished by Dr. Eckhoff in his English book, thankfully, so we were able to capture that. In the United Kingdom, we have a paper called Lessons Learned from Incidents, A Paradigm Shift is Overdue by Dr. Sam Manam and Simon P. Waldrum. This is published in the Process, the Journal of Process Safety and Environmental Protection, volume 92, page 76 to 760 to 765 in 2014. This covers the period from 1958 to 1988 in the UK. The third resource we'll talk about today is data from Ken Nesby and Leonard Avaldsson from Sweden, who specifically focus on metal dust. Uh, and they published a paper called Metal Dust in Sweden as part of the 12th International Symposium on Hazards Prevention and Mitigation of Industrial Explosions. Happened in 2008 down in Kansas City at the Fike facilities there. We covered this paper back in episode 88 of the podcast with an interview with Ken. And then also in episode 140 of the podcast where we talked about muddled dust explosion loss history, severity, and practical considerations around the world. So we sort of talked about this last week, but what are some of the challenges that come up in this type of tracking? Well, you can kind of see now that we're getting to other parts of the world, there's even more diverse set of information than just what's in North America. Even from these three papers, I have one that's published from a, a conference that isn't generally made available to the public, one that's behind a paywall as a journal publication, another that was published in German and, and republished in a textbook as an English version of the figure. So you sort of see how you get a very diverse set of information in terms of where this information is coming from, and it's quite difficult to bring it all together in one spot. Different countries have very different levels of health and safety coverage and workplace safety accident incident reporting. We'll actually talk about this towards the end of this episode on you know, some countries might tie their healthcare payments directly to incident reporting, and others there may be no incentive or even negative incentives to reporting workplace safety accidents and incidents. So in these two different scenarios, we get vastly different degree of reporting of combustible dust and other workplace safety issues. The big question for us and our work with developing this global incident reporting network over the next 12 months is estimating how much we're actually missing in each country. Maybe in one country, we're capturing 70% of what happens, um, but in another country, we're only capturing 25% of what happens. This is really important to understand and develop as we move forward so that we can compare country to country, industry to industry, what's actually happening there. What does it mean when we say we have 30 dust explosions a year in um, the United States and you know maybe uh, 15 per year in Sweden? Comparing just apples to apples there doesn't really make a lot of sense because we don't know what we're missing. So getting a measurement of what we're missing is one of the really big things we need to tackle with this global reporting network that we'll be developing. On the flip side of that, we see countries where we're just not capturing anything that's happening, then this is a good Im- indication that maybe we need to set up a delegate for that country or um, have somebody in the global reporting network from that country that speaks the language that's able to evaluate what's actually happening there. So we're going to talk about lost history in Germany, in the UK, and in Sweden from these papers. So in Germany, and this is the data from Beck as reported by uh, Eckhoff, and the data was from 1982, covers the period, a 16-year period from 1965 to 1980. In this information, Beck reports 22 explosions a year, 31 injuries, and six fatalities in Germany. So this is pretty strikingly similar to the number of incidents that we'd see in the U.S. We're seeing 20 to 30 explosions, 30 to 35 injuries, and six fatalities a year. Very similar number of incidents are happening in Germany as happening in the United States, at least on a per-year basis. 
When we talk about the United Kingdom, this comes from, again, from this paper, Lesson, Learning Lessons from Incidents, A Paradigm Shift is Overdue by Dr. Sam Manam and Simon P. Waldrum. This paper is more generally focused on issues with incident reporting, um, has the quote in it, those that cannot remember the, who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it by George Santayana. I can never say his name quite right. And in this, they do give, it's just two paragraphs on combustible dust where they say in a 30-year period from 1958 to 1988, there were over 984 incidents involving dust and powders reported to the UK Health and Safety Executive, the HSE there. They mentioned that there was 1,357 injuries and 39 fatalities, and that 46% of the incidents involved dust explosions. So I don't say how many of the injuries and fatalities involved dust explosions, um, but if you just sort of use the maximum possible and say that all the injuries and all the fatalities were explosion related and none of the, you know, none of the fires contributed to the, in, the injuries, which is probably a, a gross approximation. But if you do that, you'll end up with 15 explosions per year, a maximum of 45 injuries and 1.3 fatalities a year. Um, again, assuming all the injuries and all the fatalities came from the explosions and not the fires. More realistically, there's probably 10 injuries a year, or 15 injuries a year from fires. That's what we see in our incident reporting in the United States. Um, but this gives you just a, a rough estimation. So let's say, again, we're seeing somewhere but somewhere around 15 explosions a year, um, up to 45 injuries and up to one and a third fatalities a year from dust explosions in the UK over this, uh, 16, over this 30-year period. Talk about the dust explosions that we see reported in Sweden. This, again, is the data from Ken Nesby and Leonard Evaldson in their paper, Metal Dust Explosions in Sweden. In the paper, they specifically talk about how they collected the data, and they collected it from the Sweden Work Environment Authority. Uh, and they note that all accidents and incidents in Sweden shall be reported to the, envir the Work Environment Authority since the end of 2011. So then they use that database and pull out anything related to combustible dust for this assessment. They covered a five-year period from 2015 to 2017, in which they reported 237 incidents involving combustible dust, and 18% of these involved metal dust. They go on to say that 27% of the metal dust incidents involved explosions. And they also state that although most events resulted in extensive material damage, they only have had a few cases of injuries to personnel in this uh, entire data set. So they're not seeing a lot of injuries and fatalities. So it is quite difficult because they don't give the percentage of uh, incidents that are related to fires and explosions of, their, of all their data to do some estimating here. But they do report then an average of two and a half metal dust explosions per year and maybe up to 13 dust explosions per year in total. So if we do the summary then, in the U.S., we're seeing 20 to 30 explosions a year, 30 to 35 injuries, and six fatalities. In Germany, we're seeing quite similar, 22 explosions a year, 31 injuries, and six fatalities. In the U.K., we're seeing 15 explosions reported per year, a maximum of 45 injuries and a maximum of 1.3 fatalities. So probably maybe a similar number of injuries and, and quite a bit lower fatalities. And then in Sweden, we're seeing maybe up to 13 explosions per year with very little injuries and fatalities. So when we look, it's kind of hard to kind of compare country to country and the fact that, you know, different countries have different reporting requirements for workplace safety accidents really plays a role here. The question is, what are we missing? We sort of get some hints from this information. I want to talk about in these three key takeaways from looking at this um, incident reporting. So... The, the first is that different regions of the world will have different challenges with combustible dust. For example, in Sweden, a specific challenge that has been indicated is metal dust, which makes up 18% of the incidents that occur. In the U.S., 
when you combine both the general industry data from the chemical safety board and the agricultural data that we talked about last week that's being tracked, it's more like 10% of the combustibleless incidents involve metal dust. And Germany falls between the two with 13% of the, du- the combustible dust incidents involving metal dust. So you see different countries have different industries that are more popular or more active in that industry. And those industries are the ones that are going to be experiencing the combustible dust challenges. So metal dust is, you know, plays about twice the role in Sweden as it does in, in the United States in terms of the combustible dust incidents that we see. So that's the first takeaway. Different regions of the world will have different challenges with combustible dust. We'll see this again next week when we talk about um, dust loss history in Asia as well. The second takeaway is that different workplace reporting requirements will impact how much dust incidents are captured. So I sort of said this before, you know, we're seeing different levels of reporting in a country having a potentially a very large impact on what gets captured in the incident database um, or across all the incident databases. So in the U.S., we're seeing 20 to 30 explosions per year, 30 to 35 injuries and six fatalities on average. In Sweden, which has one fourth of the GDP, we're seeing up to 13 explosions per year, but very little injuries and fatalities. So the little injuries and fatalities make sense. They should have one-fourth the injuries, which would be less than one a year. They should have one-fourth the fatalities, which would only be one fatality every couple of years, something like that. But the instance are 13. That's only, you know, that's more than 30% of what we're seeing in, in the U.S. So why is that? Why is Sweden reporting, you know, several times more in terms of a, a ratio of GDP, combustible dust explosions than we're seeing in the U.S.? I think, and I don't know the answer to this, but I think the answer probably falls with their reporting requirements in terms of workplace safety accidents. We've seen this before where countries that have a really big drive on reporting all workplace safety accidents and incidents obviously capture a lot more of the combustible dust injuries and a lot of the combustible dust incidents that are happening, which is really important for them to be able to learn from what's actually happening, make policy recommendations, and also make recommendations to industry that are tailored to meet the needs of that industry. The other side is that injuries and fatalities generally seem to scale more with GDP than total incidents. Again, this is because if you injure someone or, or you know, unfortunately kill someone, then you're going to have a lot more stringent reporting requirements behind that incident, where the ones that don't result in injuries and fatalities are the ones that probably make up the big difference between what we see country to country and what we're capturing with the incident database. So it's really important to kind of point this out because as we develop this global reporting network that I've been talking about over the last few episodes, we're really going to try to measure what are, how much are we missing in each country. And in a country where we're capturing maybe 70% of the incidents, we can really get a good, broad, sweeping understanding of what's happening there. A country maybe that we're only capturing 25% or 5% of what's actually happening, we may not be able to make as good recommendations to members of that country, to companies in that country, and we'll look at what role we can play at dust safety science and through other platforms to improve that over time. So this then leads us to our third takeaway, which is the need for this global reporting network. Each group is that we are able to track is reporting the information in a slightly different way. Some are reporting fires. Others are only reporting you know, total incidents, fires, and explosions. Some aren't breaking out injuries. Some are breaking out equipment and doing more deep analysis trying to combine this all into one system to say, how big is the problem of combustible dust? What are the overall lessons learned that we need to understand to move safety for everyone across the board becomes a big challenge when all this information is reported in such a a heterogeneous, and that means everything's really different um, way at the end of the day. 
Uh, again, this points back to the need to develop this global reporting network where you say, well, these are the standards on how we're going to actually report this information, out what we're going to report and how what format we're going to use it, put it in in order to uh, be usable by the community over time. So that's it for this episode. So we covered dust explosion loss history in Europe and the UK. Specifically, we talked about Germany, the United Kingdom, and Sweden. There is likely other countries that have other information that's available. Um, and some of these I actually have in my own uh, information stock, but they're, they're packed up in books and ready to go on the truck in uh, two days. I'm going to drive them to Ontario. And once I get them unpacked there, maybe I'll be able to dig in. Um, we talked through this paper, this, this German information from Beck from 1982 that was published by Dr. Rolf Eckhoff in his book, Dust Explosions in the Process Industries. This paper, um, Lessons Learned, Learning Lessons from Incidents, A Paradigm Shift is Overdue by Dr. Sam Anam and Simon Waldrum. And a paper called Metal Dust Explosions in Sweden by Ken Nesby and Leonard Avaldsen that was published in the International Symposium of Hazards Prevention and Mitigation of Industrial Explosions um, in 2018. So we compared the sort of lost history in the different countries. So in the U.S., we see 20 to 30 explosions a year, 30 to 35 injuries and six fatalities. This is pretty similar that we saw in Germany um, in terms of explosions, injuries, and fatalities. There are slightly less incidents reported in the U.S., or sorry, in the U.K., with, uh, ha- with 15 explosions and a maximum of 45 injuries and 1.3 fatalities. Again, these are likely overestimated because we didn't um, attribute any fatalities or injuries to fires that were reporting in that period. In Sweden, we saw two to three metal dust explosions and up to 13 dust explosions in total over a year with little injuries or fatalities reported in that period that's covered. We sort of close out the episode talking through these three key takeaways. Takeaway one, different regions of the world will have different challenges with combustible dust. Takeaway two, different workplace reporting requirements will impact how many combustible dust incidents are captured. Takeaway three, the need for a global approach and a global network to how we report combustible dust incidents overall um, in different countries of the world. And that's something that we're going to be working on again over the next 12 months with our work at Dust Safety Science um, and probably a working group that we're going to put together on this topic. Uh, if you want to get access to this information or um, view the show notes, you can do so at dustsafetyscience.com slash 153, the episode number, or shoot me an email at chris at dustsafetyscience.com. Um, you can join the Global Reporting Network or, or put your name in the hat to be involved in that, either as a researcher or as a, you know, a, um, a country delegate, if you will. You can do that at dustsafetyshare.com. There's a place to fill out um, your interests there, or you can also reach out to me to do that as well. Uh, next week on the podcast, we're going to talk about lost history in Asia, kind of compare that to what we've seen in North America, what we've seen in Europe and elsewhere in the world, and what does that mean for the global combustible dust community moving forward. So as always, I want to say thank you for listening to the Dust Safety Science Podcast. I hope you have a safe and productive week ahead, and I appreciate everything you're doing every day with the work that you're doing in industries around the world that are handling combustible dust. Mm-hmm.